Producers acknowledge and respect the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of the land on which we produce Nightlight Podcast. And we acknowledge and respect all ancestral lands of Australia's First Peoples. We pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. This is Nightlight for the restless heads and the racing hearts. Nightlight is a curation of the world's most beautiful tales performed as spoken word by creatives. Find a quiet place to just pause for a moment because stopping, deep listening and focusing on one immersive experience has the power to change your state and your outlook on life. Welcome to Nightlight, where a light is always on. I'm Eric Thompson, and this is Mawson's Antarctica by Louise Southerton. For you. At 4pm on December 29, 1911, the steamship Aurora passed its first iceberg since leaving Hobart a few weeks earlier. On board were Douglas Mawson and the men of his Australasian Antarctic expedition, en route to explore a previously uncharted part of Antarctica due south of Australia. They soon found themselves surrounded by a puzzle of pack ice, which settled the mountainous seas they'd had on the journey south and transfixed the men on deck. The tranquility of the water heightened the superb effects of this glacial world, wrote Mawson in his 1915 account of the expedition, The Home of the Blizzard. Majestic tabular bergs whose crevices exhaled a vaporous azure, lofty spires, radiant turrets and splendid castles, honeycombed masses illumined by pale green light within whose fairy labyrinths the water washed and gurgled, seals and penguins on magic gondolas were the silent denizens of this dreamy Venice. In the soft glamour of the midsummer midnight sun, we were possessed by a rapturous wonder, the rare thrill of unreality. A hundred years later, this ice world inspires the same sense of wonder and is just as irresistible. The rest of the planet may be known, mapped and settled, but Antarctica remains a land apart, pure and unblemished, wild and intimidating, a place where nothing is guaranteed and anything can happen. It's a misty December afternoon when we leave Dunedin on New Zealand's South Island aboard the Orion, a ship twice as long and infinitely more comfortable than Aurora, a 50-metre steam yacht built in Scotland for whaling expeditions to Newfoundland. But our destination is the same as Mawson's, Cape Denison in Commonwealth Bay. Before this trip, spending five consecutive days in the open ocean seemed a daunting prospect. But crossing the Southern Ocean turns out to be a highlight on what is surely the most luxurious ice-strengthened expedition vessel in these waters. Lovely as life is indoors in the Orion, it is impossible to resist the pull of all that ocean. We stand on deck to watch dolphins leaping out of the blue waves, and prions, cape petrels, and lightly mantled sooty and wandering albatross skimming the crests of the waves with their wingtips. Eventually we're so far from land even the seabirds disappear, and I become acutely aware of our isolation. 
We are an island of comfort in this vast, watery wilderness, as physically alone as Mawson was. The days become longer and colder. By our fourth sea day, the air temperature is zero and there's snow on the deck when we step outside to watch humpback whales come up for breaths between ice flows. Snow petrels circle the ship, a sign that we're close. The next morning, soon after crossing the Antarctic Circle, we see the northern edge of the Antarctic continent, an ice cliff with a sloping brow filling the southern horizon. It seems impossibly vast. The geographic South Pole is still incredibly 2,630 kilometers further south across all that ice, some of it four kilometers thick. 99% of Antarctica is permanently covered by snow and ice. Cape Denison, a rocky point in the middle of Commonwealth Bay, is an anomaly, one that, by fate or good fortune, Mawson found only after cruising the ice cliffs for weeks. Unlike Mawson, we know where to go. But even with our 21st century navigational gadgetry, satellite imaging, and an ice master on the bridge, Orion is at the mercy of the pack ice as much as Aurora was. Fortune smiles upon us too, though. The ice magically parts, and we anchor safely off Cape Denison just as Mawson did in January 1912. The sun shone gloriously in a blue sky as we stepped ashore on a charming ice key, the first to set foot on the Antarctic continent between Cape Adair and Gaussburg, a distance of about 2,000 miles. The two days we're there, Commonwealth Bay is eerily calm, belying the fact that this is the windiest place on Earth. Even without a blizzard, stepping onto the ice for the first time is exhilarating. I find a quiet rock with a view to sit and take in this place. Snow softly falling. Too soon we're heading north again. But one of the advantages of visiting this part of Antarctica is the chance to stop at Macquarie Island, which Mawson famously called one of the wonder spots of the world. Penguins were in thousands on the uprising cliffs and from rookeries near and far came an incessant din. At intervals along the shore, sea elephants, elephant seals, disported their ungainly masses in the sunlight. Circling above us in anxious haste, seabirds gave warning of our near approach to their nests. It was the invasion by man of an exquisite scene of primitive nature. Leaving the quarry feels like the end of the trip but we're still three sea days from Dunedin, and the Southern Ocean isn't about to let us go lightly. The swell builds all day until that night it peaks at 10 meters. At dinner, we hold onto our plates and glasses as the ship rolls and watch the windows of the dining room submerge like the doors of front-loading washing machines on the rinse cycle. After dessert, a few of us put on our wet weather gear and stand at the stern railing watching a procession of monster waves chasing us. The 50-knot winds blowing rain squalls and salt spray in our faces until two waves catch up to the ship. A wall of water descends and washes over the deck and we retreat inside. Safely in our beds later, we listen 
as the sea breathes deeply under us. Our last stop is another World Heritage-listed subantarctic island, Campbell. Although gale-force winds prevent us from going ashore, our zodiac cruise along the protected eastern cliffs in the company of mermaiding New Zealand fur seals is spectacular. Thirty-knot gusts tear the white caps off the dancing water and hurl them at us, until we're rewarded with a rainbow and the sun momentarily spotlighting thousands of nesting albatross on the high cliffs above. After another sea day and smooth seas again, we cruise back into Dunedin's long harbour. When Mawson returned to Adelaide in the known world in February 1914, after two long years on the ice, he marvelled at the tree-clad shores and the smoke of many steamers, and said, The welcome home, the voices of the innumerable strangers, the hand grips of many friends, it chokes one, it cannot be uttered. How strange it must have felt. To me, even tiny Dunedin seems busy after almost three weeks at sea, but following Mawson's wake, landing where he did, Stepping inside the hut he and his men shared through blizzardly conditions, seeing the icy environment that took the lives of some of them and almost killed Mawson himself. It's history in motion, the past in the present, and our journey to Antarctica has been all the richer for it.